Good evening. Goodbye forever by Matchang Rinpoche. Chapter 21, Part 2. Dujum Rinpoche said, Then third stage, this is Rangdral. Distinction between arising and liberating is gone. This is journey in which destination same as point of departure. You busboarding that takes immediately to where you are. So when Namtog's arising, instantaneously self-liberating. Not state of non-duality leaving. Their arising is their liberation. Division no longer existing. Liberation is instantaneous, spontaneous effortlessness. This is Rangdrol. Namtogs liberate as arising. Their very arising is nature of liberation. Dujum Rinpoche paused for a moment, gazing into space. Then he said, Now we sit. After some time had elapsed, Dujum Rinpoche said, Face of non-dual awareness recognising. Although experiencing, description not possible. Like a mute, dreams describing. Rinpoche told me that I should write these words down in my notebook and read them back to him. He asked me to write them in the English that I would use and that Tsering would then translate it back into Tibetan for him. This is what I wrote. It is impossible to distinguish between oneself resting in non-dual awareness and the non-dual awareness one is experiencing. When one rests naturally, nakedly, in the boundless state of non-dual awareness, the urgency of injudicious, hyperactive conceptuality, memories and troublesome plans, evaporates and disappears in the spacious sky of awareness. Referentiality collapses and vanishes into non-dual awareness. At the end, Dujum Rinpoche seemed pleased. Always these words of Dujum close in heart keeping, then never dispirited becoming. Then we sat in silence again. I do not know how long we sat, but our meetings were often concluded in this way. After a month, which was the extent of my Nepalese visa, I had to return to MacLeod Gange. The conclusion of my sojourn in Boda with Kyabje Dujum Rinpoche was drawing closer. One thing only troubled me at this time. I had begun to have serious doubts about art school. I found that I had lost enthusiasm for the idea of an art degree, especially as it would take three years. It seemed that what I really should do was simply work every summer and return to Nepal for the rest of the year in order to continue my studies and retreat commitments. 
I put this problem to Dudjum Rinpoche and he replied, you must art school. Nepal come in good, but first examinations and qualifications obtaining. Otherwise, poor old man becoming. This result must not be coming in the West. For Tibetans, no problem, but for Western peoples, unwise. You must good circumstances making. He had explained this before, but this time he gave greater emphasis to my not giving up art school. He said that I would have a longer time of living in the West ahead of me and that living in the East was not easy for Western people. It was by no means certain that British citizens would always be allowed to come to India without visas or stay as long as they wished. It would not always be so cheap to live in India and Nepal and I had my old age to consider. Life was not easy in the West if one did not have qualifications and one day I would be too old for hard manual labour. I was not expecting this advice and was somewhat taken aback by it. However, Dujum Rinpoche's advice made complete sense. He appreciated my fervour in wishing to abandon all my previous life plans and dedicate myself to Vajrayana. But my work in the future would be to transmit Vajrayana to the West. I would therefore have to know the West well and to make a life in the West. There were those who found ways of living in the East for decades, but this, he explained, was not for me. My job was to understand what was needed in the West and to be able to speak to Western people. It seemed to be taken for granted, as far as Dujum Rinpoche was concerned, that I would eventually teach my own students. I found that idea as remote as realisation or discovering I could fly. But Dujum Rinpoche was in earnest about my future. What was more, I was to establish the Gurkachanglo Day in the West. That would be my life's work. I had come to the East to find the Gurkachanglo Day and I was to return in order to establish it in the West. Staying in the East, therefore, was not an option. I imagine that many people would not find it easy to have their lives laid out for them. I am actually a person who, in all other circumstances, would never comply or bow to authority. I certainly didn't comply with my father's efforts to steer me in my life. But when it came to Dujum Rinpoche, I simply accepted his direction without the slightest demur. If he had suggested studying for the Mathematic O-Level that I was deemed too arithmetically retarded to take at 16, I would have taken it on with pleasure. There was nothing I would not have taken on at Dujum Rinpoche's suggestion. 
Dujim Rinpoche listed nine indications in respect of my life that confirmed his view that I could undertake something for him. Firstly, I was, like him, born in a dragon year and I'd had authentic visions as a young child. Secondly, I'd had dreams of clarity in which I'd seen vignettes of my past life. Thirdly, I'd seen the photograph books of Tibet and later a photograph of Ajo Repa Rinpoche. These had made a significant impression on me. Fourthly, the cumulative connections with the Nyingma tradition had brought me to India in search of Nakpas. Fifthly, I'd studied with the first Nakpa I met and taken all the advice that I had received. Sixthly, I'd come to Nepal to meet him immediately as I had been advised. Seventhly, having arrived in Nepal, I'd meditated in his gomba, circumambulated the great Churton and then come directly to see him. Eighthly, I'd taken all his instructions to heart. Ninthly, I'd taken Gurkha Changlo ordination and he saw that I would keep these vows for the rest of my life. In addition to these indications, he had personal recognition of my past lives. He foresaw that I was a person who could make the Gurkha Changlo day known in the West. That was important to him, as the Gurkha Changlo day had become weakened after the exodus from Tibet. Even in Tibet, it was not what it once was during the early spread of Vajrayana in Tibet. It had been famous and highly influential during the early spread, but since the second spread it had been repressed and neglected. Dujum Rinpoche wanted that to change, and saw me as a person he could trust to effect that change. If the Gurkha Changlo day could be seen and understood in the West, then it would be preserved in the East. And this is why I had to make my life in the West, rather than jeopardising my future by devoting too much time to being in the East. This then was to be my life. Not only was there to be a training, and a life of study and practice. But there was Dujum Rinpoche's mission for me to preserve the Gurkha Changlo day by establishing it in the West. I promised Dujum Rinpoche that I would do everything in my power to fulfill his wishes. And he was pleased at my acceptance of his prediction. It was a prediction. But the Tibetan idea of a prediction is that when one's Lama gives one a prediction, one does everything one can to make sure the prediction is fulfilled. Obviously, the Lama who makes the prediction has to have foresight and a profound understanding of the individual who receives the prediction. But there was no doubt in my mind that this was the most enormous honour as well as the most enormous responsibility. Dujum Rinpoche did not accept my promise immediately, however. 
he explained that it was a difficult task. Many people would stand against me in trying to make the Gurkha known. It would not be an easy life if I chose to do as he had asked, but he would always think of me and always keep me in his heart. I should never feel separate from him. What could happen? I asked rhetorically. They can't kill me, so I will survive. I've found that I'm quite good at surviving. In fact, surviving is what I seem to do best. Dujum Rinpoche looked quite serious when I said that and told me that they could not kill me in the West, but that was not so certain in the East. Lamas had been assassinated in Tibet and it was not impossible in India or Nepal. Evading the consequences of the law was far easier in India and Nepal than it was in Western countries. Kyabje Dujum Rinpoche then told me that it might be useful for me to know something of his life history. After Tibet leaving, then Kalimpong living. Then many teachings and empowerments in Kalimpong and Darjeeling giving. These teachings and empowerments had been much appreciated by the Tibetan community. Availability on the part of a great Lama such as Dujum Rimshe was much needed and cherished as a support for Tibetans in exile. It made them feel that their culture could survive. Sadly, it seems that Dujum Rimshe's accessibility was interpreted as a political threat. It did occur to me to ask who saw it as a threat and why. I decided, however, that had Dujum Rinpoche wanted to be specific, he would have made it clear. Having been raised by a Victorian father, I knew that there were certain questions it was impolite to ask if one were addressing one's elders and betters. Those elders around me when I was a child were not necessarily my betters, but Dujum Rinpoche was in a category far beyond betters. I simply trusted that he would tell me what I needed to know. If he did not tell me, there was no need to ask. I therefore only asked questions when there were points of Vajrayana that I did not understand. Dujum Rinpoche told me that he had been subject to hostility ten years previously. It had occurred on a train journey. He'd been in MacLeod Ganj discussing the Tibetan refugee situation in relation to the exiled Nyingma peoples. The situation had caused him concern vis-à-vis -vis the wish in certain quarters to make all traditions subject to centralised authority. This proposed policy, he felt, was not in keeping with Tibetan culture prior to the exodus. He was concerned about the future of what had always been independent lineages. With respect to this concern, he had asked Katog Ontrul Rinpoche to perform a melong divination whilst on the train. And Ontrul Rinpoche, scrying the melong, saw a statue of Pamasambhava bound in barbed wire. This did not bode well. 
The train had to stop for a while in Siligury. In the interim, whilst the train was stationary, Dujan Rinpoche was apprehended and subsequently incarcerated by the Indian police. This had occurred because the Indian Intelligence Service had been informed by certain Tibetan sources that Dujan Rinpoche was a salaried Chinese collaborator. I naturally wondered who the source could have been. One would have to be in some position of authority to make contact with the Indian Intelligence Service. I could have asked for more details, but again I did not know how to frame such a question. To what end would I need such information? Dujam Rinpoche gazed peacefully around the room. Yeah, news very fast spreading and disciples too shocked and sad. They hear from Siliguri to Panchimari prison sending. Then many disciples from Darjeeling, Kalimpong, Sikkim and Bhutan say must be preventing necessary. Their preventative measure was to be extraordinary and in the style of Mahatma Gandhi. At any sign of Kyabje Dujan Rinpoche being transported to the Panchimari prison, hundreds of people would lie on the railway lines. The number prepared to do this escalated by the hour and the Indian authorities were aware that a crisis was mounting. The Chugyal of Sikkim, the royal family of Bhutan, prominent Nepalese and Indian dignitaries and thousands of students wrote letters to Nehru and within days Dujam Rinpoche was released and returned to his home in Kalimpong. This everyone in Nepal, Sikkim and Bhutan knowing but no one speaking, no one publicly saying. This is for you, not in this time for others hearing. Only when you, my age, becoming, then this can be spoken. This you must decide. This is now only for you hearing. So nature of politics you very well understanding. Dangerous people, Chugyam harming. Dujam Rinpoche sighed. So care must be taking. Always great care taking. And so, this was why I could not venture east for lengthy periods. I could only ever make short visits, and it could never be known in advance by anyone when I was coming, where I was going, or for how long. I asked Dujam Rinpoche if there were any words of support he could offer me, that I could remember when things seemed difficult. He paused for a moment, then gave me an extremely broad smile. Just think of me. Then, after a moment of silence that seemed to seethe like the sea, he said, This is my heart advice. This is self-sufficient. As before with such special teachings, Kyabje Dujam Rinpoche wanted me to write it down and then hear my translation translated back into Tibetan.
fervently invite the presence of Padmasambhava. Then settle in the space of Padmasambhava in which your mind and my mind are inseparable. The relaxed openness of Padmasambhava is uncontrived naturalness and does not curtail, reject, cultivate or ignore. Relax without grasping at the state of Padmasambhava and whatever arises will self-liberate. This is the nature of Padmasambhava. It abides in the natural state. It's not a new attainment because it, because it has never been separate from you. Although not separate, you have not recognised it till now. It is this non-recognition that is the only delusion. There is endless delusion and non-delusion. So whatever arises in mind, look directly at its essence. When examining, it cannot be seen. So throw away the external examiner. The space where the examiner is abandoned is chukku, the essential nature, all pervasive, unconditioned potentiality. In this space of chukku, where can one go or stay? Understand this. Realise its meaning. Sustain it effortlessly in practice. The result is to be without hope or fear. Dujum Rinpoche remained silent for a minute and continued, Having attained this confidence, he laughed, has made this old man satisfied. Then he concluded, I believe this young Nakpa also satisfied becoming.